Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Happy New Year, everyone, and thank you for joining me for this midday edition of the Theology Mom podcast. I hope that by God's grace, you and your family are doing well and you've had a good holiday uh, getting into the new year. It's always exciting to reflect back on what the Lord has done in the past year and to um, pray with him and, and talk about, um, you know, what he might have in store in the new year, but each day his, his mercies are new every morning as we try to find our way (laughs) through this life. And I am super excited to bring you the third part in my series on Mary, the mother of Jesus. I recorded this discussion a few weeks ago with my friend, Aaron Kunkel at Maven. And we basically just have been going through all of the verses in the gospels. Today, we're going to touch on a little bit in the book of Acts about Mary And it was just such a fun and casual conversation. If you missed the first two parts, that's okay. You can just jump in right here with us. But if you want to catch up on those discussions later, you can find them wherever you stream your podcast. Just search for Theology Mom. And um, I'd love it if you would share this series with a friend, with your women's pastor or your your main lead pastor and just kind of to help encourage them of what kind of Bible study can be done. And, um, you know, that there's other possibilities available than, than just using pre-programmed stuff, you know, that people can just get into scripture and begin to talk about it and break it apart. So if you are joining on the live stream, you can just uh, talk to me during the chat. I'm going to come back halfway through the discussion with Aaron, field any questions you have. I want to also make a correction from the last discussion we have. So I'll do that uh, at the midway point. And I think with that, we will go back out. Here is part three of my discussion with Aaron Kunkel from Maven. The next scene with Mary in it is actually the first miracle Jesus performs. And that's in the book of John. Yeah. John chapter two, John chapter two. And now this is basically an 18 year jump in the timeline. So we don't know anything about Jesus. We also don't know anything about Mary that's happened, except we do actually get some insight in this, in this scene of a wedding in Cana, and probably most people are familiar with this. This is where Mary says to Jesus, they're at a wedding and the hosts have run out of wine. And Mary says to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus says to her basically, okay, but what this doesn't, what does this have to do with me? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. So what does he mean by that? Well, he's, he doesn't want to reveal who he is yet. But she has some in, insider info. <laughs> like, it's almost like, well, you can do something about this. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, I know you can do something. Can you do something to, you know, help yeah. these people out? And so Mary tells the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. And 
I I do like this scene because some people have said his, you know, because he refers to his mother in this scene as woman. Now, to American ears, that might sound disrespectful, like woman. And but Jesus is not being disrespectful. And so to understand culture, time, language, you do have to do some work. But one one scholar I wrote said it's it's helpful to think about it as kind of like saying, ma'am, like how maybe modern day southern people would think about it. But he wasn't being disrespectful to his mom. He wouldn't have he wouldn't be disrespectful to his mom or put her down or something like that. So um, it's important we know that because we could take that statement in in the wrong way. But so what does Jesus do? Well, he he acquiesced to his mother's request, um, although he does it quietly. And so he tells the servants to go fill up these jugs with water. And then when the servants pour it out and well, they taste it and pour it out that it it becomes wine. And this is Jesus first recorded miracle. It's done in quiet. The As far as we know, the host never finds out who did this. The people at the party don't find out, but we know that Mary knows that he did it. The servants know that what happened and a couple of his disciples and his brothers, some of his brothers were there as well. This causes some of his disciples to begin to believe in him. It says in verse 11 mm -hmm. and that he was there with some of his brothers. So I was just going to say the insight we get here about Mary is is that right after this, Jesus goes to Capernaum and we know that Mary goes with him. So scholars believe that by this point, Joseph, his father has died. And they believe that because Mary wouldn't be traveling with Jesus if she had a husband at home to be with. And so this is at some point, we don't know when Joseph died, but we scholars believe now Mary is a widow. And it makes sense that she would be with Jesus because Jewish tradition is firstborn sons take care oh. of their mothers when they become a widow. And so Mary's most likely a widow at this point, and she's she's with Jesus. And I think that's going to lend insight as we hear other stories and, and just think about Mary's life. Scholars do think that Mary was a part, of course, he, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he had other people that were with him, traveling with him as well. And there were women in that group, several women we could talk about, but many scholars believe Mary was in that group. And, and just culturally, it would have made sense. Jesus had an obligation. As we said, he didn't just throw out Jewish culture and Jewish law. It's not like it didn't mean anything to him. So he would have he would have cared for his mother and taken that responsibility seriously. Okay, so the next scene after this wedding in Cana, if we if we're continuing to follow a timeline of actual times of things happened, well, the only each gospel records Mary in some story, but the Gospel of Mark only records Mary once and it's in Mark three. And this again is his only mention of Mary, but this is shortly after Jesus has chosen his 12 disciples and has begun his public teaching. And Mark records the story where Mary and Jesus's brothers show up at the house that he's teaching or the place that he's teaching. And 
they're asking him to come out side. And then this is when probably a lot of people know the story of when, when Jesus says, you know, they say your mother and brothers are outside. And he says, you know, who are my mother and brothers? And, right. and then, and then references to, to uh, the people sitting, sitting there, here are my mother and my brothers. And whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So to focus not on necessarily what Jesus is saying at this point, but what's going on with Mary, um, scholars think that they're trying to get Jesus to talk to him. So they're, they're interrupting this teaching. And scholars think that this kind of weird situation um, can be best understood by knowing that Mary and his brothers were trying to come and kind of redirect him, kind of pull him out and say, hey, let's get back on track here. And Jesus wasn't going to let that happen. But this was done out of concern that Jesus was kind of getting off track of his Messiah mission. And I think that's important to think about as if we're studying Mary, which is who we're talking about, in that this just demonstrates that she she didn't really understand what I mentioned earlier, that what messiahship was going to look like. She didn't have insight into what Jesus's ministry was going to look like. And if we think about Jewish time and Jewish culture, Mary would have thought about the Messiah, what the Jews at that time would have thought about the Messiah. And that was that the Messiah was coming as a political hero, that he would be the king of the Jews, literally a political king. And so what Jesus was doing here, scholars think they probably thought he was getting off track. And, and this wasn't part of the deal. And they were doing this out of concern for Jesus. And so I, there's lots of resources and things you can learn about, like, what were Jews looking for in the Messiah at the time? But I, I found a few quotes that I think are helpful. One's from the Jewish Encyclopedia, which says that the Jews were yearning for a promised deliverer of the house of David who would free them from the yoke of the hated foreign usurper. Usurper. Sorry, did I say that right? Um, and just that basically to sum up that he would, uh, this Messiah would establish his own reign of peace and justice in place of this Roman rule that the Jews were now under. So the Jews were looking for um, a king that would be a political king that would free them from Roman rule, Mary would have had this same kind of mindset. And especially you think back to what we talked about, the angel Gabriel saying that he, the throne of David and hearkening back to that, this is what the Jews would have thought. And this is what Mary would have thought. She didn't know the kind of Messiah that Jesus was going to be. So this story, I think, just reveals a little bit of her own humanity and that she was a Jewish woman thinking the Messiah was going to be different than who Jesus actually was. I think it's also fascinating where Mark places this story 
in the near context is that Jesus is casting out demons and mm -hmm. then some teachers of the law come and they start accusing him of, of being demon possessed and somehow he's driving demons out with the power of demons. It's all very weird and convoluted, um, but they think that he's demon possessed. And then Mary uh, and, and Jesus's brothers arrive. It's almost like, it makes me wonder, like, did somebody go over to Nazareth and find them? Cause Cana is not that far. Like, and, and they're like, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know? And, they're like you said, they're trying to bring him back on mission. You know, mm -hmm. have you forgotten you're a son of David? The, the throne is yours. Like, what's your plan? You know, I <laughs> and Jesus's um, response to them is is so almost very um, countercultural in mm -hmm. that he is already starting to redefine people's identity away from mm -hmm. Judaism to being about him as the Messiah. And we're mm -hmm. going to see that play out um, as the new, his God's plan for the new covenant continues to unfold and, and come to fruition in the book of Acts um, where Jesus is building, you know, from the nations, mm -hmm. inviting people into this new spiritual family and yeah. that that will become eventually our, highest identity, but also that in the hierarchy of loyalties, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus is helping people to understand in a very kind of radical countercultural way, mm -hmm. not that he's throwing away his, those relationships with his mother and his brothers, but that yeah. you have to understand that families are going to be divided because of who I, because who people think I am. Mm -hmm. And this is a very important saying of Jesus. And I'm sure mm -hmm. that it must have confused Mary, you know, yeah. like, um, because family loyalty and an honor shame culture like that would be mm -hmm. a very big deal. And yeah. uh, I can just imagine that she she would be maybe left with some questions. I'm not sure what we're doing here. We could talk about this probably for a while. This what he what he does here, but yeah, it wasn't so much of a rejection of his mother and brothers as it was he's he's now reshaping what family is and 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 yeah. So I I think about this story as I think about it from Mary's perspective and just how it demonstrates her confusion. And it reminds me though of that, a, a popular Christ, uh, Christmas song, Mary, did you know? And I, I love that Christmas song. And, you know, it talks about Mary, did you know that he would walk on water? And I think the answer to that Christmas song, Mary, did you know, is we can say, no, she didn't, she didn't know. She knew something. But she, again, she knew that he was the chosen one, that he was the Messiah. All the things that Gabriel had told her, all the things that now had been prophesied over Jesus from all these different interactions they've had. But she didn't know that Jesus was going to walk on water, that he was going to heal people, that this Messiahship wasn't going to be, that he was going to rule over um, Israel as a political leader. So that 
that that song that I love, Mary, did you know, to some of the things, yes, she did know. And some of the things, no, she had no idea and was probably really confused when these things were 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 coming to fruition. She she must have thought, what is going on? And yeah. and that which actually leads to the next thing. I mean, this is all we get. Um, about Mary in that story, and we don't really get anything about her specifically during Jesus's ministry, at least, you know, from what appears in the gospel. And the next time Mary shows up is at the scene of Jesus's crucifixion. Yeah, we're going to fast forward here to um, John chapter 19, and we see um, Jesus there. He's on the cross. Mm-hmm. And the, some of the other women are there along with Mary. And mm-hmm. this is just such an important scene because we really see Jesus um, show us an, a powerful example of how to obey the fifth commandment. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think, you know, the fact that we get this insight from John that Mary's there at the cross and of course, he's the only disciple out of the 12 that's there. But I think this speaks to Mary's courage. Her son is nailed to a cross. And she and the other women there and John ha- are, are a, the few people that have the courage to be there still with Jesus. And I think this speaks to Mary's great devotion to her son and to his mission, even if she was confused. And I, you have to believe that sitting at the foot of the cross, Mary is going, what is going on? What is going on? Go back to the scene with Gabriel and fast forward to then, he's being killed. And, and so just thinking about that can be fascinating, knowing the Jewish mindset. But then, yeah, this... This sweet story, I think, of Jesus still loving and caring deeply for his mother and not neglecting his role as her son, as her oldest son. And in John 19, it says, when Jesus saw his mother, this is verse 26, um, that the and the disciple that he loved, referring to John, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son referencing to John. And then he says to the disciple, behold your mother. And then John records. And from that hour, the disciple took her as his at to his own home. So from that moment on, John now began the role of watching over Mary, the widow who doesn't have a husband and now whose oldest son has been killed and scholars, um, what I read was was quite interesting to think about that why would why wouldn't one of Jesus's brothers taken over the role of watching over Mary? And scholars uh, hypothesize that Jesus would have given this role to John because his brothers at this point weren't believers in him, and John was. And so he would have wanted Mary to be with someone who knew who he was. And was a part of the mission. And so that's why he passed that role to John. We don't know for sure, but we do know that this is 
is a scene that happened and again showed Jesus's love and devotion to his mother and that he took the role of of his, of being her son seriously and the faithfulness of the women um is really just stands out in this yeah. in this scene that Mary I'm imagining you know we don't know to what degree she understood Jesus's complete mission at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure that watching her son die and be executed to a public execution mm-hmm. uh, up there, probably naked, which in the honor shame culture would have been just a horrible situation. Watching that happen on a Roman cross, I can imagine mm-hmm. the words of, Simeon coming to her mind, you know, Mm -hmm. and and having those words replay in her memory of just as a sword has Mm -hmm. pierced Jesus, um, you know, her heart is is also pierced at that moment. I can't imagine a worse pain in this life than as a mother losing a child. And talk about a gruesome scene on a Roman cross and to have to witness that, his torture and death. I I have friends who have lost children and I I just think it's probably the worst pain this life has to offer. And so I, I think, again, we learn things about Mary through this as we imagine what what she could have been thinking of at that time, but what we also know that she was his mother, that she had walked with him through life. She had been there through all these things and to be at the cross would have been uh, a sword in her soul for sure. Okay. Welcome back. I'm live and um, having a great time watching this back with Aaron Kunkel. I hope you're enjoying it. And I want to go out to a couple of comments. Um, we were talking in the, the conversation there. Um, I'm going to go to YouTube first. Um, Elaine Voss was, we were talking about the, um, you know, the piercing of Mary's heart. And I thought Elaine had a nice question. Maybe Mary thought moments like those were the sword piercing her heart when Jesus had hard things to say to her. Yeah, that's possible. Um, Raina is over on uh, my Theology Mom Facebook page. It had to be so heartbreaking. I don't think her mind could wrap itself around this being God's will. Hard things are always hard to understand in the bigger scheme of things. They, they certainly are, especially when dealing with our kids. And, um, you know, there's a, even though I'm... You know, I don't want to in any way compare myself to to what Mary went through in her very unique situation. There's there's like a little sliver of it that I can kind of relate to, if you will, as a mom and and thinking about um watching what Jesus would have gone through and and all of that. So good comments. Go ahead and uh uh continue to leave those comments there. And I did want to make a quick announcement uh for those of you because I know not everybody's on social media much anymore, but I do want to let you know that I have an online class that is coming and it starts one week from today 
um, on, uh, no, one week from tomorrow. It starts on January the 10th. And if you want to find out more about the class, I'm going to be doing a deep dive 10 weeks on the book of Revelation. So we'll be getting into all the weird visions and thoughts about the future and all of that. So if you've taken one of my classes before, this would be a great follow-up, an opportunity to um, kind of practice some of the skills we've talked about uh, in previous classes. But even if you've never taken a class with me before, the Revelation class would be a great one to start with. All you have to do is go to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash classes. And you will see it at the top there. You just click on Revelation and it'll give you all the information, all the details when we meet for class and how long it is and what the textbooks are and all of that fun information. So just go to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash classes. And I'd love to see you there. I'd love to see some new faces. Um, I also wanted to give a correction and I meant to tell Bob uh, when the thing was playing back. Um, but I wanted to make a correction from Aaron and my discussion about Luke 2 that was in part two of the conversation um, that we did last time. And I just wanted to offer a really quick clarification of something that I said wrong, and I don't want it to steer people in the wrong direction. So in Luke chapter 2, um, it says in verse, let's see, 21, at the end of eight days when he, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then verse 22 comes on and says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. I thought those were the same event. I didn't read it carefully when Aaron and I were talking. And my husband actually pointed out to me that this is likely two separate events. And so um, there was a couple comments that I made in part two that made it seem like I I thought that those were all the same event. That's because I thought they were all the same event. I didn't read it very carefully. So just wanted to offer that quick correction. So the time of purification, I believe is either 40 or 50 days uh, after the birth of a child. So um, there would have been a period of time then between uh, Luke chapter two, verse 21 and verse 22. So I just wanted to make sure to offer some clarity around that. Okay, um, I don't think there's any more comments. So let's go back out and watch the wrap up of uh, Mary. And we're even going to go all the way to the book of Acts uh, and Pentecost because she was there at the beginning of the founding of the church. And then I'm going to come back and make a couple more quick comments and then we'll wrap things up for today. All right. With that, we're going out to the rest of my conversation with Aaron Kungel from Maven. Well, that brings us to um, just three days later when we get to the scene um, at the graveside. And I, it was interesting, um, as I was preparing for this, I was reading through the, the scenes of the resurrection. 
And, um, you know, there's a lot of debate about whether or not Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of the Marys, um, you know, at the resurrection. Matthew 28 says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. You know, the other authors uh, talk about different different people there. It's quite a list. But I just can't imagine that she wouldn't be there. Yeah, I I think a lot of the scholars that I looked at believe that she undoubtedly was there. And it does make sense just following Mary's life that, of course, she would have been there. She didn't have fear to be at the crucifixion. She would have certainly taken up the role with the other women of of preserving Jesus's body, of caring for it in the tomb. This would have helped in the grieving process, certainly. And so, yeah, I, I mean, most scholars that I read who, who have really studied this believe that she was a part of the group of women that went to visit the tomb on that resurrection morning and an angel appeared to those women and said, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. And what a joyous thing for God to let Mary be a part of that scene of the resurrection. And again, assuming she was there and thinking about all she had witnessed and now again, probably thinking, well, what's happening now? Right. But also rejoicing that Jesus is no longer dead. And um, so, yeah, we don't get a, a lot about Mary. We assume she's in that group of Marys. There was a lot of Marys in, in that time. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's the next scene. And we, we don't get a lot more other than that. She was probably in that group of women that the angel appeared to. Then the very next scene, when we get to Acts chapter one, like um, 40, 50 days later, uh, mm -hmm. Jesus has now ascended into heaven. And we see this, this scene in Jerusalem uh, mm -hmm. that again, we should probably emphasize but the book of Acts is also written by Luke. And yeah. so, you know, Mary could very likely still be a source here um, in Acts chapter one. Some scholars I read said, again, that it just makes sense that Mary would have been at the Ascension, although we aren't we aren't sure about that. Some some scholars say, well, we don't know. So we'll just assume that the people who were specifically mentioned were there. The disciples were there at the Ascension of Jesus. But we know for sure that she was at the at the scene of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and enters in to the followers of Jesus who are in that room. And Mary is mentioned in the group of people who are praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus is ascended now and now they're, they've been promised this helper and she's with this faithful group that is praying and waiting and then the holy spirit comes and enters into them and yeah this is this is the it this is the end as far as mary's concerned this is the last scene that we specifically see her in that she's mentioned and we know she was there um and so we don't 
we don't get any more about her life. Um, scholars assume that she stayed with John in Jerusalem. We know John stayed and did ministry in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And so we assume that she was with him and lived with him until she died. We don't have any information about when she died or how she died. Um, some scholars are hypothesize that she possibly went to Ephesus with John when he went there, but we don't know for sure. Um, and so we just have to wonder about that. But we do know that she would have been a part of that group in the first church in Acts that in Jerusalem spread word that Jesus had risen and and started the the ministry of the Christian church. So that that's exciting to think about that this young woman in Nazareth who was visited by Gabriel then got to be uh, live alongside Jesus, live alongside his ministry, and then be a part of that first church. Yeah, what a unique perspective she would have had yeah. um, from the very beginning. Let's just go back to the Magnificat because we didn't talk about that when we were in Luke chapter one. It's kind of Mary's poetic expression, her prayer in, res in, in response to the message of the angel. And I would love to just, um, you know, help us land here a little bit in the scriptures because such a powerful, powerful um, song that she writes. And the Magnificat, for those who don't know, it, if you don't speak Latin, you probably wouldn't know. <laughs> but it just means to magnify, to glorify, to exalt. As I said earlier, it's sometimes called Mary's song. But this is the scene right after what we talked about earlier, where Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesies over Mary. And you just have to assume that Mary was on that journey to Elizabeth, Mary had to be wrestling with what is my life going to look like? How am I going to tell people about being pregnant? What am I going to say to Joseph? What am I going to say to my parents? How am I going to talk to Elizabeth about it? Is she going to believe me? She walks in and God meets her there and his Holy Spirit, you know, fills Elizabeth. And so this is the Mary's response, and her response is to glorify and exalt God for who he is. And this is what Mary says. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to help, come to the help of his servant Israel, for he remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. So it's this 
this beautiful hymn where Mary is just bursting in worship to the God that she knows. And it's interesting when you read that, she, she makes a lot of references and maybe to modern ears, you might not understand some of the things that Mary talks about. For example, the strength of his arm and has scattered the proud in their conceit. And what does she mean by he's filled the hungry with good things and and sent the rich away empty? What what are all these references? Well, again, you have to do a little bit of work to look up some of these references Mary is making. But when you start to study this this hymn that Mary wrote to God, you get even more insight, not only into her heart and how um, what was ex- what she was experiencing in that time was causing her to worship God. Um, but what we learned just from the reading of the Magnificat and a little bit of study is that you learn that Mary has a really deep knowledge of God and of the scriptures. And so, first of all, the style of this song is is a style that's familiar in the Old Testament. And the style is a a call to praise. And then the second part of that is a cause for the praise. So first it's like a recognition, a call to praise to God. And then it has the second part, which is the cause for that praise. And this is a, a familiar pattern in the Old Testament. This is something Mary would have known and been familiar with. And it also has this theme in it like other hymns in the Old Testament, of remembrance. And I think that's important too. So Mary talks about things that God has established in the past, what he, that he's active right now in the present, and then that, that God, that this is extending into the future. And so this theme of remembrance is throughout her hymn, which is also a familiar theme in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Mary would have known this. And so um, as I was doing my study of the Magnificat, it was so interesting to look at some of these references like, okay, what does that mean about God stretching out his arm? And so as I looked it up, just in this Magnificat, Mary references all these Old Testament books. So she references Genesis, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Job, Ezekiel, the book of Psalms, Daniel, Micah, and Zephaniah, just just to name a few. So she had a knowledge of God's word. And, and I think that's important to think about as far as why was this woman chosen by God? And what was it about her that was different from Zechariah, that she was able to trust God with her response, that her response to Gabriel was that of submissiveness. I am a servant of God. Whatever he says, let it be. How was she able to respond that way? Well, I don't think we can separate it from the fact that she had this deep knowledge of God. Well, that's so powerful because I don't think I've ever reflected before on Mary's mastery of scripture um, that she really 
she was so conversant and fluent in the scriptures that she could create art based on that. What mm -hmm. an amazing inspiration and example she, she is to us. Um, I guess that leaves me with the final question is, what kind of conclusions can we begin to draw from all of this data about what kind of disciple Mary really was? Like, what, what can we learn from all of this? I think we could learn a lot and probably your listeners could have even, you know, different insights into this than I, than I have. But I think some of the things that came to me right, right away was just that knowledge of God is vital in our relationship with him. We can't separate the knowledge of God with being in relationship with him. We can't worship and magnify God, a God that we don't even know. And so Mary was able, this just poured out of her heart because of her knowledge. She knew who God was. She, she knew what God had done and she knew what he was capable of. She knew that he used lowly people like herself and lifted them up. She knew that about God. And so that's why she could sing about it because it wasn't like Gabriel visited her and she didn't know the God he was talking about. She, she knew the God that he was talking about and she could trust him. And that's why it's fascinating. If you, if you study this woman, Mary, who uh, sadly, a lot of evangelicals don't study, but I think we should. But if you look just, she's the most painted woman in all of history. And if you look at so many paintings of Mary, she is often painted with a book in her hand or a scroll next to her. Or she's in a classroom type setting or in the temple reading or whatever. So however the artist has portrayed her, portrayed her. But they portray her that way because the assumption is Mary was a woman of knowledge. And even at her young age, she knew the scriptures. And I think that's something that we can think about. Like, do, do we really know God? Do we really study God and the knowledge of God, do we take that seriously? Or do we kind of separate out our our knowledge of God from our experience of God? Do we think that we can just have these experiences of God that's divorced from our deep study and knowledge of who he is? Well, Mary's an example of someone who, who no, she didn't, those two things were not divorced. They were deeply intertwined, her knowledge and her experience and faith in God. I think another thing that I gleaned from all of this study is that she had such profound trust in mm -hmm. God in yeah. all of these things. I mean, she was navigating some really tricky situations, mm -hmm. but she trusted God through all of these things and she was obedient to him as a result of that. What yeah. a wonderful example for mm -hmm. us. Yeah, and that that trust, that faith that Mary had is it's coming from this this knowledge of who of who God is. And this is this is how trust works. You can't trust someone you don't know. You you don't you don't know them, you can't trust them. But she knows God. And so if we want to grow in our faith and our trust in God, we have to we have to know him 
and 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 so yeah her her life just exhibits that her response to god her trust in him she had no clue what what signing up for this was going to mean <laughs> but she but she signed up for it she said okay and uh, you know i'm a servant of god and so uh, it's it's humbling to think about and to think about all the cultural circumstances that we talked about earlier and that she trusted God with all of that. So knowledge, trust, what I also hear in there a little bit, Erin, is obedience. Yeah, I think that's what what the third thing that for me really struck me about Mary. And of course, as I'm saying, her knowledge feeds her faith and then her faith her trust feeds her obedience because she knows God before, because she trusts him, then she's able to surrender to him. And, and yeah, you just think back at that when, when the Magnificat was, was spoken to God, she had no clue how this was all going to turn out. She didn't know how she was going to tell Joseph her family. She didn't know if she would be stoned or, sent away from her family, the only town she ever lived in and knew she had no idea how she would be rejected and treated. But yet she walked in obedience. And it makes me think about my own trust and my own walk of obedience and submission to God. And would I would I trust and and obey in a situation like that? I, I, you know, we like to hope we would, but Mary's an example to us, I think, of humble obedience to a God that she could trust and and was willing to obey. She was willing to put her own desires aside and to follow God. And, and it's really incredible to think about. And we, you know, we need heroes. We need role models. We need people we can look up to. And and in general, we have no problem doing that with all kinds of people in the Bible. And and I know Mary comes with um, some baggage. You you mentioned our Catholic friends earlier. You, you know, there's 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 been uh, different ways that people have have looked at Mary, and and I think we can look to her as a role model without worshiping her, or you know, we don't have to swing the pendulum too far. But I think she should for sure come to mind as someone we should study and look to as a, a model for how um, a life with God of faithfulness can can look like and how we can respond. Yeah, there's so much wisdom there. I just thank you so much for doing this with me, Erin. It's been a, we're, we're approaching like Mike Winger status in, in the length of this study, but I uh -oh. think that you, he always drops these like three hour videos and stuff, but we've been talking for over two hours, but I just have so enjoyed being able to go through all the scriptures with you and, and gleaning from, you know, your study and being able to do it together. I hope that this will inspire others to, you know, get together with a friend and pick something and then be able to look at the scriptures and really talk about it and dig deeper and, and think about it. Um, you know, we're not doing a bunch of magic tricks here. It's just a matter of looking in the Bible and, and looking in the context and asking questions and um, doing, yeah. you know, a little bit of homework sometimes. But 
Um, it's always more fun if you have someone who's a brother and sister in the Lord to do it with. Um, yeah, absolutely. Really part of yeah. the community. So absolutely. All right, we're back live. And that is the end of my conversation with Aaron Kunkel on Mary. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it inspires you to dig deep into a character or a theme in the Bible. And um, I do want to let you know one more time, make sure you're following Maven. You can find their website, maventruth.com. But I also want to let you know, if you live in the Southern California area, maybe Northern California, Arizona, Nevada, um, there will be a conference next month. You can just go to mavenconferences.com and you can check that out. My ministry partner, Monique Dusan, will be speaking at the Maven conference. You can hear Erin and her husband, Brett, as well as some other friends of the, of the ministry. It's going to be a wonderful conference. So go check out what they're doing. Again, go to mavenconferences.com and make sure that you're following Maven on your social media. They, uh, Kunkels have a parenting podcast, uh, where they, they have five kids, like Aaron said, and, you know, just a lot to, uh, of wisdom that they have for Christian parents. So let me, uh, go back out. I don't think there was any more comments. Um, Yes, Elaine, there are many Marys <laughs> in in the Bible. Uh, and sometimes it's a little confusing, but very, very popular name. And uh, Laura, you're very right. There's no magic tricks to, to studying the Bible. You just got to get in there, look at the details, read the Bible. What a concept. That's right. Um, and I just want to encourage all of you, if you're thinking about doing a reading through the Bible plan this year, or if you just want to have a general survey of the Bible, I actually have a podcast series called points of interest that is available on my YouTube channel. Also on soundcloud.com backslash, uh, theology mom. If you want to check out my audio podcast from a few years ago, where I taught through the entire Bible in 52 weeks, I still to this day cannot believe that I did that. I, I did a podcast for 52 weeks in a row without missing. And uh, I even did a couple of them while we were on vacation and stuff, but I did the whole thing. And so it's a great overview. If you're doing a read through the Bible plan, um, that might be a resource for you. And with that, uh, I think we are done and looking forward to next week. I'm going to be, uh, sharing a conversation I have with my daughter, Emily about feminists and gender critical theory and a bunch of fun things related to that. She's uh, quite the little hobbyist on this topic, and we had a great conversation. Hopefully she'll do another one with me sometime. I have some other questions that I've thought of uh, in the meantime, but that's going to be a great uh, conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. All right. Take care. Good day and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.